the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Lord, I just thank you that it's you speaking through me tonight. Lord, when you're involved, things get really good. When it's, when it's me, not so much. Lord, I just yield myself to you, Father, that you would use me just as a, a vessel, just as a mouthpiece, just as your simple messenger, but the anointing would come from your spirit, from your throne. The words would be bold and impactful because they are the words written in the Holy Scriptures that we trust with our lives. We have built our lives upon the foundation of your word. And we're here tonight to grow and to build this house that you call your temple. We love you so much, Lord. We, we ache inside to see you. It says the whole world groans waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And your patience that you've had with this nation and the things going on in it, it must be more patience than I could ever muster. Lord, you're... You're long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but the things that you see going on around in this nation, Lord, just must grieve you so. But Father, I thank you that, that you are giving people time to repent and you're growing up your church and, and us so that we will have time to shine before it's over. That we will have done run our race and finish our course so that we can hear good uh, well done, thy good and faithful servant. We just want to please you. We want to have crowns to cast at your feet. We want to say we did all that we knew to do. And we're here tonight because we're ready to go to the next level in our walk with you. We need you so bad, Jesus. There's no question. We want to be set apart. We want to be faithful. We want our hearts changed. We want our minds rearranged. We want our will to conform to yours. The things that we sang tonight. With all that we are and all that we'll ever be, we give those things unto you, Lord, and all the glory that may go along with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, you know, I ain't always been as good a husband as I am now, you know. <laughs> I don't know what I did tonight, but but you know, when we were first married, I wasn't all that good a husband. I'll admit, you know, when Angie was in labor with our first child, you know, I was saying, come on, Angie, push, Angie. Angie, push, you got to push faster, push harder, Angie. And she just looked at me like she was so mad. And, and I didn't understand why. I mean, didn't she know that this was an old car? We had to get it cranked somehow if we were going to get her to the hospital. <laughs> but I have learned since those days, you know, to... Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. 
Now you know why I didn't run my sermon pastor before she came tonight. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll just start in verse 1. It says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, which is the Apostle Paul. And, and so he's speaking to the church in Ephesus. So it's a church, right? These are Christians he's speaking to. And he's telling them, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Worthy. That's what we were just praying about. Living a life worthy of this calling. Can you imagine that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, has called you? It goes on to say, for you have been called by God. Are you a part of the church? Then you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Bind yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And in verse 6 it says, One God and Father of all. Say all. all. Who is over all. Say all. all. And in all. Say all. all. And living through all. all. I didn't tell you to say it that time, John. All, 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 and all. Father of all, who is over all, who is in all, and living through all. Second Corinthians carries on this theme. In chapter 15, verse 28 says, Now when all things are made subject to him, that's the Father, then the Son Himself, Jesus, will also be subject to Him who put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a beautiful picture? See, Jesus is doing all this. He's subduing the earth. He's, he's, getting, uh, he's going to chain that old devil up and throw him in the pit and all these things. He's subduing everything. And the last thing to be put under His feet, it says, is death. But when it's all done, all said and done, and he has secured everything under his kingdom, which is us, we will be in him, and he will submit himself to the Father, and we will all be in all. All in all. God's plan is all in all. And Jesus confirmed this when he prayed to the Father in John 17, 21. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be used, or may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Now, he's praying about how we get that done. See, the world needs to see Christ in us, Christ through us. Now, so that we can get everything subdued so that one day he can wrap this whole thing up and he can put everything in subjection to the Father. Tonight's message is called, All in All. Who came up with that? 
And all in all, I want to say it's going to be pretty good. Now, like I said, early on, I didn't know much about marriage. And, and I met Angie. And after three years, I decided it would be time for us to get married. But I really, I just really wanted to get married. But because, but, but I didn't really want to give up all the other girls I was seeing. And I didn't. I didn't know that you was going to have to put your finances all in the same pot and, you know, we were going to have to share the workload and all those things. I didn't understand how marriage works. So when I, when I said my vows that day, I had looked at what the preacher wanted me to say and I kind of changed them a little bit to reflect the way I wanted them to sound. And, and this is what I said. I said, I got... Take thee, Angie, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward or until someone better comes along. For better, for richer, and in health. I kind of skipped a few things. I mean, who wanted that for worse, poorer, and sickness thing in there? So I just said for better, for richer, and health, to love and to cherish Till death do his part, or I decide to take another route. That was my vows. How many believe that? How many believe we would have made 25 years this March if that's the way I went into it? Now, granted, you know, I didn't know a lot about marriage back then, but I learned quick. <laughs> But certainly that's not the kind of covenant vows we entered into when we made Jesus the Lord of our lives and we told him that we want to be his bride because we're the bride of Christ, right? We entered into a covenant with Jesus when we said, Jesus, be Lord. I hope we knew better than to think, well, I'm just going to pick and choose my vows. Doesn't work like that, does it? Isaiah 54, verse 5 says, For your Creator will be your husband. In case you didn't know that, we're considered, the church is considered the bride of Christ. The Lord of heaven's armies is His name. He is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, and the God of all the earth. And I can assure you, God is all in on His end of the vows. His... He's serious about his vows. He's all in. Say, God is all in for me. God is all right. He's serious about his vows for you. You know, my senior year in high school, I was voted all Metro baseball. That means uh, the best in Memphis, in the city of Memphis, on the you know, they had a thing at Chick Stadium, and we got to play a game there, an all-star game. I was all Metro. Maybe some of you played sports or something. Maybe you was all state, which would have been bigger. Uh, but God, he's all universe. He is all universe. You understand? He created it all. He rules over it all. He's all powerful and he's all knowing. Psalms 145.9 says, the Lord is good to who? And his tender mercies are over all his works. You know how, how you know somebody's good? That they have mercy on somebody else? 
shows that they ain't all about themselves. But God's mercy is new every day. It's unending. His tender mercies are over all his works. Aren't you glad that you serve a good God? I mean, there's really only one God, and I'm so thankful he's good. Can you imagine serving Allah? Tells you to go out and behead folks and kill folks that don't believe the way you do and to lie to them and trick them and all these things that the Quran tells them to do? Who would want to serve a God like that? We serve a God that doesn't tell us to kill our enemies but to but died for his enemies. That's a big difference. We serve a good God. I'm so thankful. I don't know about you. But the Bible doesn't say this, but it, it, it says this, but in a different way. God is omnipotent. You ever heard that word? It says having all power. He's almighty. <laughs> He's supreme. He's the big cheese. There's no one to go to. There's no, nobody to appeal to any higher than God. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's where the buck stops. He's also omnipresent, which means he's present everywhere all at the same time. That's how he can be with you, and that's how we tell you. You, you should pray to God all the time. You, you don't think you're taking up his time talking about your little stuff because he's there anyway. He's omnipresent. I think it's in Psalms 39, isn't it, where the psalmist says, where shall I go to hide from your presence? If I if I raise to the top of the mountain, you're there. If I go down to the depths of the earth, you're there. Where can I go to get away from your presence? We might as well just acknowledge his presence and enjoy his presence. He's omnipresent. And then the third O is omniscient i think i'm pronouncing that right he's omniscient that means he knows all things he's better than alexa or google searches or anything you know a computer is only as good as the information that you put in it but god knows everything every calculation he knows how many hairs are on your head at this moment he's named the leaves of grass and the grains of sand all over the world. And the galaxies and the faraway stars. He knows the temperature. And faraway black holes. I mean, he, he's, there's nothing he doesn't know. He is so awesome. If you, we could just do a, a whole sermon on him being omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. All power, all present, and knows all things. He is such a good God. You know, sometimes, you know, we've been hitting you pretty hard lately about our response, you know, this flesh and the spirit on Sundays and stuff, and we're, we're entering into that fast starting tomorrow night at 12 o'clock or whatever. But I just felt like we need to take a little time tonight to just talk about how good God is. We can't. Forget that. We need, to, we need to dwell on that. Because whatever, everything that we do is, is for a good God, for good purposes. 
A God who's got big plans for all of our good works. Who knows about it? God is good all the time. Psalms 107 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. There it is again. He's good and his mercy endures forever. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There, James adds that there's no shadow of turning. That means there's no even thought that one day he's going to turn and not be perfect. Or one day he's going to turn and not love you. There's not even a shadow. There's not even, he, he's such glory that he doesn't even create a shadow. And there's no chance that he's going to move in his position and his love for you. And some of us live so much in condemnation, like everything that I do, oh, God's not going to love me. But that's not true. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any less or any more. His love is set in the heavens. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is love. He can't help himself. He loves you. While we were yet sinners, God commanded his love towards us in this. That Christ died for us. Wow, Jesus paid it all while we were yet sinners. And when I say he paid it all, think about the life of Jesus. From the time he started that ministry, when he was baptized in the Jordan River, he got and went straight into the wilderness to prepare for his ministry. We talked about a 40-day fast. I mean, he was serious about his ministry. He came out, he began to do miracles, signs, and wonders. He, he healed the people, he loved the people. He, the crowds followed him. If you read the book of Mark, it gives you just a, a bigger understanding of how much people loved Jesus and followed him and how the, the crowds were so thick. And, and it wasn't like today. He didn't have security. He didn't have microphones. He didn't have platforms. He didn't have a limo to get to the next gig. And his disciples were often worried about him, saying, Jesus, you got to eat. How's he, keep, how's he keep going? But man, he was giving it all. He was not holding anything back. He says that he would go into a town and he healed every one of them. You know, we get it amazed when we see some famous person that signs autographs and it'll take 30 minutes out of his schedule to sign autographs. Oh, what a saint. Jesus would be there all night healing the sick, casting out devils. When his best friend John died, he wanted to take a moment to go be by himself, but the crowds followed him and it says he had compassion on them. And he couldn't stand it. Instead of grieving, crying like he wanted to take a moment for himself, he turned and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he healed them and he taught them all night long. He gave everything to the ministry. He gave everything that he had for those three years of ministry. And then when it came down to the end, he said, Father, I know what's coming. You sure about this? If there be another way, 
Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And they came and they got him. And they beat him. And they mocked him and they spit in his face. And they pressed those crown of thorns down on his head till he was bleeding. And then they, they mocked him at trial and they yelled, crucify him. The very people that, that he had just ridden into town, they were shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Now they're yelling, crucify him. They turned on him, his own disciples. Where are they at? We don't know. They ran off. And they whip him with a cat of nine tails to within inch, inches of his life. And then they make him carry his own cross up this long road to a hill called Golgotha. And he's so drained of all the strength. He's, he's given it all. He finally physically comes to the end of himself. And they have to call Simon from Cyrene to come and to help him bury his cross the rest of the way. And he gets there, and they flop him up on top of that cross, and they get a hammer and nails, and they nail him to our cross through his hands and his feet, and they raise him up like a sack of beef, and he's sitting there hanging, and he barely has the strength to, to straighten himself up to give his lungs a breath of air because this cross is, is, is taking his breath away. And it's either get a breath or, or feel the pain in these nails. And it says he's unrecognizable as a man. Because they had beat him. So his, his head, he can barely lift it to say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And I imagine he's looking through slits of eyes. It's been beat shut. But yet, he takes care of mama. He makes sure mama's cared for. He gets the thief beside him straightened away so he can go to heaven. He takes care of business. And on that cross, all the sin that you and I have ever committed and all the sin of all the world was was poured onto him, and, and he who knew no sin became sin for us. And it was the moment that the Father had arranged to pour out his wrath for all these sins upon His own Son to pay the cost that broken humanity could never pay. And God's wrath came upon Jesus so that He became sin. And, the, and it must have been so intense that the Lord of glory cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It 
And it was more than any of us could have ever bared. But Jesus bore it for us. And he said, it's finished. He bowed his head. He gave up the ghost. He had given literally everything that was within him. Mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, completely drained. He had come to the world that he created them and they crucified him. And he gave everything, all of it, laid it all out. There was nothing he withheld. I mean, he was literally naked there on the cross. The shame of it all. He withheld nothing. But yet it wasn't enough for his crucifiers. That even after his death, they would take a spear and stab him in the heart to make sure even after his death, the last of his blood that was pulled in his broken heart came pouring out. Spilled it all. That's given it all. And that's why I sing with all that I am with all that I'll ever be, I give it unto you, O oh God, for you first gave it to me. We love Him because He first loved us. He loved us when we were unlovable and we didn't love Him. He showed us love. He taught us love. And we see on the cross that He's all that we need. He's all that we could ever want. When we confess Jesus as our Lord, He's supposed to be our Lord. He's supposed to be the Lord of all of us. All of us. He paid the penalty to be Lord of all of us. We shouldn't be hedging our bets. We shouldn't be picking and choosing. We shouldn't be diversifying our portfolio like we're playing the stock market. I'm going to give Jesus Sundays, but I'm not going to give him Wednesdays. I'm not I'm going to I'm going to obey this command, but I don't agree with this one. You know, I'm going to give some, but I'm not going to give that much. I'm going to give a certain amount of time to the church, but I'm, you know, I got to rule my schedule. But it's not just all about the church. It's about your personal life, what you do with your everyday coming and going. Your everyday interactions with people all day long. Jesus loves 
when people give their all. You think he don't know? You think he don't get excited when you give your best to him? He was sitting in the temple one day. Which is kind of odd that he went and he sat. You know, they had a picture an offering plate over here in the corner. And he went and sat by the offering plate. I don't think that was typical for the clergy to do in those days. But he's sitting there watching people give. I don't know. It may have scared some folks, but... But it says a lot of rich folks was coming up there throwing lump sums in. And I bet they're thinking to themselves, he's going to take note of that. Watch Jesus. Look at here. They're throwing bills in there. They're thinking, man, he's going to say something about that. Jesus isn't saying anything. He's just watching. This broke little old lady, little old widow woman, now, she ain't got but two mites. And I don't know. That's just a few cents, probably. And I imagine she's thinking just the opposite of those others. She's thinking, I'm embarrassed to bring my two mites. But it's all I got. It's all I got. She probably won't raise her head and look at the Lord. She goes to walk away embarrassed. And Jesus says, oh, hey, everybody, I want you to see something. I, I want you to know something just happened here. Somebody has given their all. Now, you rich folks, you gave out of some of your abundance. Thanks. But this woman has given all that she has. And that's worth stopping the program for. You remember I stopped the program when the woman did all that she could just to touch the hem of my garment. And I stopped the program. And I said, this woman has great faith. Jesus loves when we give our all. She gave all she had. She didn't know where she was going to eat next. I'm sure she had bills. But true faith doesn't need a backup plan. Jesus is our backup plan. Some people live like Jesus is a way, a truth, and maybe a road that we can take. Maybe a way. He's a truth, a life, a way. But I think Jesus really, really likes men and women that are unafraid to take that road less traveled. That don't even know if there's a road. But not afraid. A church wrote to a missionary, a famous missionary named David Livingston. 
And they ask, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know so that we can send other men to join you. And Livingston wrote back, if you have men who will come only if they know there's a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. That's the kind of men he wanted to come and help him serve in the ministry. I don't need the ones that I have to pave a road for. Scriptures command us to give all. God exhorts us to do all for the glory of God in 1 Corinthians 10.31. And to work at whatever we do with all our heart in Colossians 3.23. And we're to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in Colossians 3.17. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Maybe you could stop the program. Hey, stop the wheels and, and, let, and let's make an announcement. Somebody has given all. These three verses, or these four verses here, suggest very strongly that we're supposed to give God our best, not just what's rest. <laughs> Every principle in the Bible. The tithe is supposed to be the first fruits. The first town that they took when they crossed the Jordan to take the promised land, the town of Jericho, God said all the silver and the gold in it is mine. God is, commands that we put him first so that he can bless the rest. And some of us, we got good intentions about our finances, about giving, about tithing or whatever, or, or about our time, or whatever our life entails, we got good intentions. But often we find ourselves just giving God the leftovers. And if you don't make a practice of saying, I'm, I'm putting God first in everything, then he's often going to get what's left over, and sometimes there's nothing left over. Because if you don't give him the first, then the rest of your stuff is not blessed. And it disappears like a man with holes in his pockets. two other scriptures one's called the great commandment and one's called the great commission the great commandment is to love the lord your god with what all oh, your heart mind soul and strength and the great commission the two major things that as a church he's asked of us is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations all produces so much more than some. I used to teach Josh's football team when they were peewees, you know, 9 and 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds. I can't remember what season it was, but uh, my, my offense had a bad habit of they'd block their men for just a second. They'd hit them a couple times and think that was all they're supposed to do. But their man would fight that off and then make the tackle. And at practice that week, I was trying to tell them, guys, between the hut and the whistle, that means when the ball snapped on the hut 
And when the whistle blows, the average amount of time that a football play lasts is only seven seconds. Guys, you telling me you can't give your best for seven seconds? You tell me you got to hit him a couple times and then let him make the tackle? Or can you go for a full seven seconds? And you know this life we live ain't nothing but like seven seconds in a matter of eternity. And so, you know, the coach in that age was on the field with them, and I was calling the plays that day, that next Saturday, that they played our played their game, and I called a play, and I said, okay, we're going to do a pitch around the left side. The quarterback's going to pitch it to the halfback. He's going to run around the left side. Well, my son Joshua was like the tight end on the right end, so he wasn't basically going to be in this play. What? And the seven seconds starts. The quarterback pitches it to the halfback. He catches it, and he's a fast little guy, and he beats everybody to the corner, and he takes it to the house, about 40 yards. I remember it, but that ain't the thing I remember most about that play. The thing I remember most about that play is, is my son Joshua had listened to what I said at practice, and I watched him block his man, who has no chance of making the play, block his man until he physically blocked him off the field and was blocking him into the other people's bench. <laughs> he did. I think we might have it on video. I don't know. He blocked the man off the field. You know what differentiates teams that go to the Super Bowl and teams that don't? or teams that go to the national championship and teams that don't, often you have a pool of teams that, that all have super talent, fast guys that can make the plays or whatever, but there's typically, to get to the very top of the top, you've got a couple of teams that have learned to block for that full seven seconds. It's what makes the difference. Blocking's not sexy. Some of those teams got these fancy running backs or whatever. They just only they only play good when the ball's coming to them or when they make the, go out for the catch. But you see, some of these teams with the receivers will run down and fake it, but then they'll start blocking their guy, and you'll see them blocking them off the field while the running back runs past. They don't let their guy go. They're unselfish, and they give it all that they have for the team's sake. And that's what makes teams great. You think maybe what you're not doing is important. I'm over here. The play's over here. Josh could have hit him one time and watched the guy run the touchdown. But you've got to get in that mentality. We've got to change the way we see life because we're not doing it for, the, for that play. We're doing it for the Lord. And this team that he's building, i got to show a, oh, I don't know now. I got to show a video. It's about four minutes. Can y'all hang on? Y'all have probably seen this before. It's one of my favorites. This and the Grinch one. But this, my friends, this fire, can I sit over here? Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what a volume. But it ain't going to do good without the volume. Can you start it over? 
Maybe play, hold on. Rewind it. Maybe go back to the, play it off the one on the desktop. Just play the one on the desktop and see if it'll come up. All right. We'll watch it some other time. Cut your lights back on. <clears throat> That's the Lord's way of saying you're preaching too long. Because <clears throat> I started not to watch it anyway because I'm, I'm running long. But there are benefits of being all in and giving your best. Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus, in subjection, in Christ, in the all in all, that all your needs are met in there, in there when we surrender into His arms. Romans 8.28 says, We know all things. How many things? Work together for the good of those who love Him and are called. Remember, we talked about we're all called. If you love Him, and you're called, don't sweat it. It's going to work out. Even if, if you've made mistakes, He's going to turn it to teach you and to grow you and to make you a better person out of every situation. Even the things that the devil hits you with that came out of uh, nowhere, that's throwing your world into a tizzy, and you want to get upset, relax. He didn't knock God off the throne. God is still in charge. And He's only going to allow you to be uh, beat up for so long. He's only going to allow so much to happen in your life. And even that, He's going to turn and make it for your good. If you're trusting God, see, your faith in God activates the protection of God, the, the covering of God. And then finally in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. See, when you search with all your heart, you will find God. You will find all that God is. All that constitutes God, who is the all and in all. Everything that you need, everything. Your emotional well-being, your physical well-being, your financial needs, your spiritual needs. Everything that you may need, you will find when you seek God with all your heart. Because in Him is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Him are all the promises of God. And they're yes and amen. Everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness is in Him. And it probably would have been nice if Peter said, if you seek me kind of casually on Sundays, you know, I'll fix you up. 
But if you haven't noticed this life that God has given us is really about us giving our all in this relationship, in this covenant relationship. Not just what you can get, but also what you can give. Because in a covenant relationship, all that you have is theirs, and all that they have is yours. But there, it must be mutual. How many of you can quote John 3.16? You want to prove it? Quote it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now let's, let's do that again. This time think about those words. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know what that's saying? In a nutshell, God loves all. So God gave all so that we could have all in all. The more you give, the more you get. The more you surrender to God, the better life becomes. Could you bow your head? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.